Alright, here we are back again. This is Didact, back with an episode of Didactic Mind. We are up to episode 45, Immigration and War. A very warm welcome, as always, to all of my uh, loyal readers from the blog. The blog has now moved, by the way. There's no longer uh, didactsreach.blogspot.com, which, in all honesty, was always a bit of a silly name, but uh, there was a reason why I picked it. It is now didacticmind.com, which I think is uh, a bit easier. The URL is in the description box. If you have not already updated your, or if, rather if you are a subscriber and you get my blog through a, an RSS feed of some kind, um, and if you are a subscriber and uh, you're wondering what the hell happened and why can't, why can't you get the new articles anymore, there's a reason for that. Uh, the reason is very simply because the blog has moved. So um, you need to update your RSS feeds and uh, point towards the um, new blog uh, and make sure that um, you're now pointed at Didactic Mind. Uh, and <clears throat> eventually there should be a subscription um, thing widget which will allow you to subscribe via an RSS feed burner of some kind. Um, but that's all done. I mean, the blog is up and running. It took me, wait, I don't know, uh, five months to get around to doing it, uh, basically because I was lazy. And, um, you know, no excuses, uh, it's my fault. Uh, I should have uh, been a lot more proactive about getting things done. There was a lot going on, uh, what with the Kung Flu lockdowns, with the uh, with all the craziness that was going on during that time. Uh, personal stuff, uh, career stuff, well, not, not career stuff, I don't have a career anymore. Um, and I doubt I ever will again. But, um, Basically, uh, there was a lot going on, no excuses, it just slipped by the wayside, and I should have done um, a lot more to migrate beforehand, but um, the migration is done. So uh, if you are from the blog and uh, you're uh, keen on making sure that you're up to date, make sure that you point to the new, the, the new real estate. And I'll write up a quick post. Uh, <clears throat> on my on on Didax Reach, which is still accessible and it will remain up because it's got all my image files hosted on it. Uh, but that'll be easily done. Uh, I'll take care of it very shortly. Um, very warm welcome, as always, to all my SoundCloud subscribers as well. If you have not already subscribed, you're listening to me for the first time. Uh, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, make sure you hit that like button so that uh, you are always up to date on the latest. Um, podcasts, and um, I hope you enjoy what you have heard. Um, if you haven't, I thank you for listening nonetheless. But um, uh, one other thing before I <coughs> carry on, or a couple of other uh, things before I carry on. Uh, if you are interested in supporting my work, please make sure you go to superbshaving.com. That is my first niche site. It'll be followed up uh, eventually by another one, no, two actually I have planned. Superb shaving is where you can go for uh, your traditional shaving needs, such as uh, safety razors, uh, uh, shaving soap, um, razor blades, and so on, all accessible through Amazon.com. Um, you'll basically be supporting my work if you buy, uh, click on any of the products and buy them, or click on any other subsequent product that you want to buy, because I am an Amazon affiliate and I'll get a cut of the proceeds. Um, and it's a great way to support me. It's a great way to keep my uh, work going, and uh, you will have access to the um, 
the full set of uh, Amazon affiliate links to any and all um, books or references that I make in this podcast uh, in the description box. So uh, make sure you check them out and make sure you look into um, some of the stuff that's available on Amazon. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of Amazon personally. I don't own stock in them or anything, but uh, they are better than most of the other um, uh, big affiliate, uh, uh, what's it called, online stores out there. And that being said, I don't particularly trust them, but you know what? Um, they are a useful launching platform, nothing more. Uh, another big announcement that I have to make is that the Limitless Living course will go on sale fully uh, on Wednesday, September 9th. Is that right? Yeah, Wednesday, September the 9th. Uh, the presale closed on at midnight on Friday. So if you missed the presale price of $77, sorry, my friend, you are SOL because the full price of the course does go up to $197. Now that's the bad news. The good news is that for $197, you will be getting a colossal amount of information. The Limitless Living course is basically a step-by-step action plan designed to take you from where you are right now, working for a boss, um, uh, struggling to get by, having a hard time keeping up with the Joneses, as it were, uh, swamped with debt, and in a Western country that is rapidly going to seed, uh, and giving you the tools and the options and the ability and the information to see what else is out there and get outside of a dying and decadent civilization, which is barely a civilization anymore. And it gives you the option of going out there and uh, leaving, of building your own life somewhere else. Um, It is a full 10 lesson course with an intro and an outro, if you will, a concluding um, monologue. Uh, and it's all me, uh, pretty much. The, the lessons are all me. It's all my voice. It's all my research. It's those 12 episodes, the intro, the 10 lessons, the outro, and the two bonus, uh, lessons and, uh, all of the DLC that you get, uh, pretty much is me. There is additional DLC coming from my friend Kyle Trouble, with whom I have collaborated on this course. He's the one, uh, putting his marketing muscle behind it. I'm the one doing the content. And I have to say, it's been a great experience. I've had a lot of fun working with him. He's a really cool dude, a really righteous dude. Um, if you have not uh, gone to his websites, his various websites, he's got a lot of them. Uh, he is the past master at setting up these niche sites and making money out of them. Uh, if you don't know who he is or you want to find out, go to kyletrouble.com or go to thisistrouble.com or go to troublesomesolutions.com. Uh, I'll leave a shout out to all of that in the description box. And make sure you uh, just stop by, check out some of his products. He's got a lot of great stuff on sale. Um, and he's the one who's going to be marketing this course through Gumroad and through his uh, downloadable app, uh, the Trouble the, the Trouble app, I think it's called. Um, the idea behind it was to put together a set of really comprehensive solutions, and they are very comprehensive. I mean... I literally break it down for you in terms of exactly how you can get a second passport. There are four methods for doing it, and I break it down for you exactly how to do it. I give you specific strategies. Uh, I tell you exactly where you can go with these passports. I give you uh, a lot of in-depth analysis as to how 
the most economically free countries in the world also have the best passports and how to get those passports and so on and so forth. Um, I talk about how to set up a business overseas, how to shelter your profits uh, from, uh, from, you know, tax authorities in a completely legal way. I'm not advocating there's at no point do I tell you to do anything illegal, and I would never tell you to do that. I make it very clear to you at all times. Consult with a tax attorney, consult with an immigration attorney. I always make that absolutely clear, and there is no question that I want you to be as informed and empowered as possible, and I want you to do everything as legally as possible. And the point of this, uh, this, this whole exercise is to give you the options to do what you want and to live the way you want. And um, I think that segues nicely into um, what I wanted to talk about today. Oh, before I get to that, as I mentioned, uh, Kyle Trouble is behind all this. Um, it was his idea, and he came to, well, he basically mentioned it to me in passing. We were just chatting via email, and he mentioned it to me in passing. He was like, hey, you want, if you want an opportunity to make some money, I'd, I'd really like to set up a course. I'm just too busy to do it myself. So sure, I'll take a look at it. Um, the reason why he was busy was because he was busy getting married. And uh, I have just heartfelt uh, congratulations to him and to his wife. Um, it's wonderful news that he has gotten married. I'm truly, I'm just absolutely delighted for both of them. Uh, it's fantastic news um, for a Christian like me. Celebrations of marriage are always uh, a wonderful thing, a, a very good thing. And uh, he is evidently very, very happy uh, being in Ukraine. He's married a Ukrainian girl. Uh, he gets along very well with their family. And uh, he's having a, a, grand, a grand old time with his now wife, his, uh, his corgi, uh, Hulk, which <laughs> I've seen pictures of the dog. He's a very cute dog, um, being a corgi and all. And um, again, just I'm, I'm really delighted to say that uh, he has gotten married. And I'm sure you will join me in wishing him and his wife all the very best for the future. Um, I also uh, want to make a very brief shout out to one of my relatives who's getting married uh, this weekend. I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to say uh, how that relative is related to me, but uh, it's great news and I could not be happier for uh, both the bride and the groom in question. Let's just uh, put it that way. Okay, so um, coming back to the topic of this podcast, uh, the reason why this has been on my mind for some time is because uh, it, it is because of the content that I created for that Limitless Living course, in which I told people during the course how to emigrate to other countries where things are less crazy and less ridiculous and where the cultures actually respect themselves rather than what they do in the West, which is um, abjectly surrender to invaders who have taken over and who have really done a, a great and terrible disservice to their hosts. And I am sick and tired of that shit. I witnessed it for 12 years while I was in the US. I mean, when I came to the US in 2006, it was still recognizably a country, if barely at that. Um, the way things changed in just 10 years was shocking to me. I, I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, the Obama maladministration had done so much to damage the country, it's not even funny. And, by the way, George W. Bush wasn't very much better. In fact, in some ways, he was much worse. Um, Obama, for all of his fecklessness 
arrogance, stupidity, rank amateurism, uh, ignorance, and outright lies was still basically just incompetent in a lot of ways. And that's a very good thing. Can you imagine a competent administration under a competent chief executive uh, doing the things that Obama did? It would have been absolutely horrifying. Now, that incompetence got people killed. Um, Benghazi was the most infamous of those incompetent, uh, or of those episodes of incompetence. Uh, but it was far from the only one. And that incompetence manifested itself in uh, willful refusal to enforce duly passed laws of the United States. Um, and it resulted in a huge border crisis, which uh, his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the chattest of chads ever to chat across the stage, uh, may the Lord bless him and preserve him, had to come along and fix. It was a huge catastrophe. I mean, when you look at what um, what happened in 2017 to, 20, to sort of early to mid-2018, it was a huge crisis at the border. I mean, the, the number of border crossings was insane. Uh, that has, based on the evidence, slowed down to a tiny trickle of what it was because the Trump administration, unlike his idiot predecessor, decided to enforce the law. That's the point of a chief executive. He's supposed to enforce the law. Now, this was a particularly sore point with me, and always has been a very, very sore point for me, um, because I watched illegal immigrants come in, lawbreakers, come in and receive benefits that I never did. And I was there legally, I was there on a work visa, I was there obeying the law, I was there doing what was right. Um, now, in the Limitless Living course, I talk about how to get uh, a second passport. And I have never made any secret of my avowedly anti-immigrant stance. Um, I have made it very clear on numerous occasions uh, in my blog, in my podcasts, in various other places. I am against paper citizenship. I do not believe in the concept. There is an element of pragmatism in the course that I, uh, that I, and I openly admit to it. It is, I am talking in pragmatic terms about how do you get away from what you have to be somewhere else and to do something else? Um, to do that, you have to be willing to be pragmatic about things. You have to, uh, exploit avenues, um, that may not seem quite right. Um, at least at first. Uh, if you want to be a naturalized citizen of another country, well, you need to undergo the naturalization process. If you want to marry a foreigner and get citizenship that way, well, you need to be aware of the, the pitfalls and the pratfalls involved. Uh, if you want to become, uh, if you want to invest, buy your way into citizenship, well, okay, fine, you can do that. But understand that uh, there are problems with that. And if you want to use your ancestry to get citizenship, you can do that too. That's probably the least bad way to do it. But um, in in any event, no matter how you look at it, you are uh, you are becoming a paper citizen of another country. And I make it very clear in the course. I do not deviate from this. I say in the course outro. Um, if you buy the course, you'll find out 
very quickly. I say very clearly, uh, if you go, if you, if you become a, na a citizen of another country, you will still never be one of them. Uh, I am not an American citizen. I will never be an American citizen. And that is despite the fact that I hold the American Constitution and the American Declaration of Independence and the American system of government to be superior to just about anything else I've ever seen. Not in practical terms. In practical terms, it's an abortion. It's absolutely horrific what has happened to the American system of government. But as a concept, as um, in, in terms of uh, the civic structure and, and civic duties and civic responsibilities enumerated in the Constitution and in all of the other founding documents, um, I do believe that the Constitution is superior. The Constitution of the United States of America is superior to just about anything else. Uh, I hold the Constitution of the United States in much higher regard and respect than I do the founding documents of the country that gave me my passport. So. I want you to understand my full meaning when I tell you that I am not an American and I will never be an American. America was not built for me. America was not built for anybody like me. America was created specifically for the descendants of white European settlers, not um, colonizers, not invaders, settlers. They came to settle the land. They found the land. Yes, they took it by force. Yes, they conquered it. That's true. Um, don't waste my time, don't waste anybody else's time, especially not yours, trying to argue with me about how the pilgrims uh, took away land from the natives. The natives have been taking land away from each other for the last, what, 10,000 years, probably longer. So don't waste my time with that argument. It's bullshit. We, you and I, both know that land is conquered and that ownership is nine-tenths or possession is nine-tenths of the law. So do not, do not fool around arguing that whites should give the land back. The fact of history is that whites own that land in the USA. The fact of history is that whites own the land in Europe. That's just the truth. You may not like it, it's just the truth. So as far as anyone else is concerned, that is European land. Now, the immigration policy of the United States of America was very clear for uh, 150 years or thereabouts after the founding of the Republic. For that period of time, the majority of immigrants who came to the USA, the vast majority, were white Europeans. And in fact, there were significant pauses during um, these large waves of immigration to allow people to naturalize and acculturate and become part and parcel of the American experiment. And even then, it didn't work very well, because the original settlers who created the 13 tribes, or 13 colonies, which were tribes, it's, whether you like it or not, the original 13 colonies that formed the United States of America were just tribal alliances. They were very, very different peoples, but they formed an alliance of people under a loose confederation uh, to fight back the British and to achieve independence, and they did. And good for them. Um, great for them, in fact. Uh, but the they were primarily descended from uh, Protestant English and Dutch settlers. And their ranks were primarily made up of English and Dutch people. English, Irish, Scots, 
uh, some Germans, not many, uh, lots of Dutch, especially in the Pennsylvania area around, around the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, you still find a lot of uh, German and Dutch-speaking peoples in Pennsylvania itself. Very traditionalist uh, Protestant groups such as the Amish uh, and, um, and well, the Amish are the ones that come to mind. But there are others. Uh, and you will find a lot of um, that carryover of, of those cultures in these, in these states. The people who followed afterwards were primarily of Scandinavian and German descent, so uh, and French, and Irish and Italian eventually. Now, those peoples had a profoundly different view of the role of government and the size of government. And these debates had been going on for centuries, I mean, within their countries, and they brought the results of those debates to the USA. That is a big part of the reason why you see such a big shift in the middle of the 19th century toward bigger government. The Republican Party, as it was originally founded, was not a party of law and order and um, low taxes, which is what it more or less is today. Um, and it, it was not originally a party that basically said, uh, we want whatever the Democrats want just 20 years later. That's, that's what the Republican Party used to be before um, the majestic and mighty God Emperor came along and gave, gave that idea a swift kick up the ass. Um, the Republican Party was, for much of the 19th century, a party of big business, protectionist tariffs, and uh, industry. It was a northern party, which is why you had the war between the states. Uh, uh, northern, northern Americans listening to this would call it the Civil War, uh, as would most non-American listeners, Southern Americans would call it the War of Northern Aggression, which, uh, in all honesty, is probably a more accurate name. In all honesty, it really is. Um, I call it the war, or I don't call it, but uh, libertarian historians that I pay attention to call it the War Between States, because that's the most neutral yet accurate name that we can come up with. And the result of the war between the states was what we have today, a uh, an America that is a union held together primarily by the threat of force. Now, all of that remained the status quo up until about 1965. And in 1965, the Hart Keller, or Hart Seller, whatever, however you pronounce his name, uh, act was passed. And that is the, uh, that is a law that was supported by Senator Edward Kennedy, which should tell you exactly how much it was worth, because Teddy Kennedy, I can't find a single example of a bad policy that Teddy Kennedy did not support. Uh, very far from being the lion of the Senate, Teddy Kennedy left a young woman to die, to drown to death in the back of his car, um, after a, you know, a night boozing out, basically. Uh, he acted utterly irresponsibly and was able to use his famous father's connections and his his family connections to kind of cover up the whole thing. Uh, his presidential ambitions, thank God, were completely destroyed in the process. Uh, a president, Edward Kennedy, would have been just a disaster beyond description because he had all of the Kennedy family's vices without any of uh, John F. Kennedy's personal strength, 
if you don't know what I mean, go look up um, the the story of John F. Kennedy's physical injuries and uh, and medical conditions. The list is unbelievable, and this dates back to when he was um, he was commanding a patrol boat, I think, in uh, in World War II, and he suffered truly horrific injuries uh, in the process, and he had he was just in constant pain, constant pain. Uh, John F. Kennedy, I mean, many of his policies were dumb, many of them, not all of them. Uh, he would be considered by the standards of today a, ro- a deep rock-ribbed conservative. Back then, he was considered a liberal Democrat, uh, which tells you just how far the Democrat Party has moved. But uh, John F. Kennedy was at least a man worthy of admiration. Teddy Kennedy was not in any way, shape, or form. Um, Now, Teddy Kennedy said at the time that the Immigration Act of 1965, what was it called, in fact? Let me go look it up. The Hart-Keller... I want to get the exact name right. The Hart-Keller Act Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, and that was supported by, it was co-sponsored by Representative Emanuel Keller uh, on in the House, and uh, who was the senator who, who was the senator who did it, uh, uh, Senator Philip Hart of Michigan, and Senator Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts helped to promote it, yeah, well, there you go, um, that should tell you exactly how much that act was worth. Now, Representative Emanuel Keller, or Seller, or how, how do you pronounce his name, in fact, Democrat from New York, uh, was a Jew and helped uh, push this act through the House of Representatives um, precisely because this act would greatly increase Jewish immigration into the United States. Senator Ted Kennedy stated at the time that this act would not change America's demographic balance and that um, the existing population in America had absolutely nothing to fear from immigrants coming in from around the world. This is the act that opened up America's immigration system to millions, hundreds, well, tens of millions, not hundreds of millions, not yet, but tens of millions of immigrants from all over the world, primarily these days from... Latin America, Africa, and Asia. So basically the dirt world. Uh, I don't care if you find that offensive, it's the truth. I'm from the dirt world myself. I am not the least bit offended when somebody calls the country of my, the country that gave me my passport, the country where I was born, in fact, um, the dirt world. I am not at all offended because it's the truth. I've, I've seen that country. It's, it's not fun to be there. Um, it's not, uh, it's not a pleasant place. Um, there are pleasant parts of it. There are the people from it are, on the whole, very pleasant, but it's not a pleasant place to be, in general. Um, so, when people call it the dirt world, that's there's a lot of truth to that, and that result, the result has been vast amounts of emigration from those countries and immigration. Please be clear about what I'm saying here. Emigration, for those of you who don't speak the Queen's English, therefore don't speak English. Um, emigration means to go from a country to another. Immigration means to come to another country. All right. So many, many millions of immigrants came to the USA. And you can see the results of that immigration all over the USA today. 
If you go to the big cities, it's very hard to recognize them as American anymore. I spent uh, a large chunk of my 12 years in the U.S. living in New York City, one-third of it. In fact, I was there for four years. Um, I moved, well, five, actually. Uh, I moved out in, I, I lived in um, Manhattan from 2006 to middle of 2011. So I was there, and I could see entire neighborhoods had been transformed. Um, and now the idea of America is that of a melting pot, that people just come in and they step onto the soil of America and they are magically transformed into Americans. They, they just become American. This is absolute arrant nonsense. There are only a handful of countries around the world that believe in this crap. Um, America is one of them. Britain is another one. Uh, Argentina, oddly enough, is a third. Uh, Argentina, as I found out during my research for the Limitless Living course, offers full citizenship after only two years of living there. So a lot of people go there on retirement visas. You know, they learn Spanish, they go to Argentina, they, uh, they pick up a retirement visa and they just live in Argentina. And you can do so on a, a very uh, relatively low uh, income. I mean, if you compare the cost of living between, let's say, New York, uh, New York City and uh, Buenos Aires. Uh, if you speak Spanish and I'm butchering your language, I do apologize. Uh, I don't pretend to speak Spanish. Um, yeah, cost of living in New York City is 287% more expensive uh, than in Buenos Aires, uh, which is not surprising. So if you do it the other way around to get a simpler comparison, uh, cost of living in Buenos Aires is... 74% cheaper than in New York City. So if you're making $2,000 a month and $24,000 a year, it's not a whole lot of money. Um, you, you are dirt poor in New York City. I mean, you can't even survive on that much in Manhattan. It's impossible. Your rent alone would eat up 90% of your income. Um, but in Buenos Aires, you'd be doing just fine. You'd be, you'd be living very, very well on that kind of money. So, um, unfortunately, these, these countries that believe in this stuff are finding out very quickly, especially in the modern day, that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that you can just show up and step on the soil and you are magically transformed into an inhabitant of that country. It's bullshit. And um, most countries around the world recognize that it's bullshit. So most countries around the world adopt a view that you must speak the language, you must naturalize, you must spend a significant amount of time in the country, and you must become part of that country. Uh, what has been the result of this monumentally stupid and reckless policy of just letting immigrants in from wherever? Well, in the USA, it's been what you're seeing today. What you're seeing right now is the wholesale destruction uh, of American cities. Now, blacks in America would argue, well, we have the right to do this because of because slavery and that's supposed to trump all the arguments uh no pun intended towards the towards the uh most majestic god emperor of course um let let me point out that the total number of slaves taken from the coast of west africa to the usa is about three hundred seventy six thousand, under four hundred thousand thereabouts uh who arrived in the u.s and settled on u.s soil uh Many multiples of that emigrated of their own free will 
and came to the USA from Ghana, from Tanzania, from Nigeria, from Morocco, from South Africa, from like all up and down the African continent. You're telling me that those descendants of those people have a link to American slavery? Like, really? Seriously? I mean, what a stupid argument that is. And yet, those are among the people, the, the descendants of those immigrants, who are smashing and burning and looting things right now in American cities. Um, and that's before we get to the fact that the majority of the black looming menace protesters who are out there on the streets smashing and looting and burning things aren't even black. They're actually white. And they are descendants of a very different set of traditions. But no matter where you look, you're looking at a nation that no longer understands what it is. It's not even a nation. Uh, a more appropriate way to look at America is that it is a series of tribes, or a, 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 a loose collection of tribes, held together by the threat of force. It's an empire, basically. And the result of all empires, the end point of all empires, is always a devolution, usually very, very violent, back toward nation-states. Now, that trend in history has been documented by a very famous uh, Israeli historian, Martin Van Kreveld. Uh, Martin Van Kreveld is a Jew um, whom I hold in the utmost respect. I have read a couple of, I've read several of his books. Um, the Transformation of War, which is phenomenal. Uh, Equality, The Impossible Quest, which is about you know, male and female, well, it's actually about equality in general. It's not just about male and female equality. Uh, the Privileged Sex, which is about men and women and how women are highly privileged in society. Um, I'm in the middle of reading Hitler and Hell, which is a fascinating book because imagine, you know, a Jew, a left-wing Jew living in Israel. He is a, a left-wing, uh, not in the bad sense, not in the, not in the stupid, crazy sense that you get in the U.S. or much of the West. He's, he is of the left in that he is a liberal, a classical liberal. Um, he and I, I mean, he's vastly smarter than I am, like orders of magnitude smarter than I am. Uh, he's a true genius, but, um, he is, he and I would probably find very little to agree on politically speaking. Uh, but on substantive issues like equality, like, uh, immigration, we find ourselves in complete agreement. And the reason for that is because Martin Van Kreveld has done uh, some pioneering research into the linkage between immigration, mass immigration, and the incidence of warfare. Now, being a military historian, Mr. Van Creveld, I think Dr. Van Creveld, um, if I if I have uh, if I have not paid due respect to his qualifications, I must apologize because uh, that is not my intention. But Dr. Van Creveld, I believe. Uh, is one of the foremost military historians alive today. So he is eminently well qualified to look at the issue of whether or not mass migration results in warfare. Now he did that. He did exactly that for a, um, a, a compendium, a, a, uh, a collection of short stories and nonfiction from um, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, Vox Day, peace be unto him. Uh, I think it was... I could be mistaken about this. I think it was uh, There Will Be War, Volume 10, which uh, is Vox Day's continuation of the late 
great legendary Jerry Pornell's uh, There Will Be War series. And in that monograph that Ms. Dr. Van Crevel wrote, he stated very clearly that the results of mass migration are indistinguishable from the results of war. The results of mass migration are always the substitution of one form of government by another. This is endemic throughout history, and you cannot get past it, you cannot stop it, and you cannot change it. This is the reality of immigration. Now, Vox Day approached uh, Dr. Van Crevel and asked him, would you be willing to do a full book on this? And uh, the good doctor responded and said, um, yeah, I don't think there's enough there to justify a full book. Because the thesis was so clearly laid out, and the evidence was so overwhelming, he was like, yeah, what's the point? Um, to illustrate the, the nature of the problem, let us look back through history at some of the more infamous episodes in which immigration did result in war. Let's take a look at uh, the Battle of Adrianople in... I'm gonna, I want to get the date right. Battle of Adrianople in 376, I'm going to say. Uh, it's, yeah, it's 378 AD, actually. Um, 9th August 378, also known as the Battle of Hadrianopolis. Uh, Info Galactic was being a bit stupid and slow. Um, this was about uh, six, or well, it was a few years after um, the Roman Emperor Valens uh, allowed the uh, Visigoths to cross the river, the river Danube, um, and basically settle in the um, settle in the Eastern Roman lands. Uh, basically, what happened was that the, in 376 AD, uh, if you look at the Infogalactic article on this, uh, due to the invasions of the Hunnic peoples to the east, the Goths, the, the, the Visigoths, uh, led by uh, Alavivus and Fritigern, asked to be able to settle in the Eastern Roman Empire along the lands of the Danube. Now, the, Roman, the Romans looked across the, the, um, the river, and they saw 300,000 people, men, women, and children, from what used to be barbarian tribes to the east, looking to settle in their lands. Um, now, the, try to put yourself in the, in, in the place of these Romans. The Romans have just been through, or a hundred years ago, they were, in the, they were in the grips of the crisis of the third century. Uh, in which emperor after emperor was deposed and, and assassinated, and there's a year of five emperors or something like that, four emperors, as five emperors. Um, there was no political stability whatsoever. Uh, under Diocletian, order had been restored, yes, but there was massive economic crisis. Um, it resulted in the fracturing of the empire into four different quadrants. Uh, the Eastern Empire, the Roman Empire, and the, the two sort of northern realms, and each one was ruled over by basically an emperor. Um, now, the Visigoths coming in from the eastern borders were Christians, just like the rest of the empire ever since, I mean, they, they'd been Christianized for about 50 years, uh, same as the eastern Romans, who had been Christianized thanks to Emperor Constantine. But these are not your modern-day German Christians who are... Um, 
rather weak-kneed and supine compared to their Gothic ancestors. Uh, it would take another thousand years from this point, if you're you know, in, a, in Roman shoes standing looking across the Danube, and you don't know this, it would take another thousand years or thereabouts for them to become the kinds of Germans that you see today. Um, it would take a very long time for these German tribes to become Roman. You're looking across the Danube and you realize you've got a, a gigantic force armed to the teeth um, just about to invade your land. And they're begging to come in and they're willing to pay lots of money to do so, but they're still not your tribe. They're not part of your inheritance. They're not part of your posterity. So what do you do? Well, humanity, uh, human kindness dictates that you would let them cross. Simple pragmatism dictates that you would sink the damn ships. What did the Romans do? They let them cross on the condition that the federati, uh, that was the term for them, would be allowed to settle on Roman lands, but they had to give up all of their arms. Of course, the Goths being Goths refused to do so, and they said they, they bribed Roman commanders in the area uh, and were allowed to keep their arms and were allowed to cross over into Roman lands and settle along the Danube. Within six years of that event, within uh, a very, very brief span of time, Roman Emperor Valens lay dead along with about 15,000 of his men at the Battle of Adrianople, within two years of that crossing, uh, in fact. And within 40 years of that, the city of Rome itself was sacked uh, pretty much permanently. And if you look at the Infogalactic article again, you can basically uh, look at what followed. And you'll realize that Rome itself was... Um, essentially wiped out as a city. I mean, it went from a thriving metropolis of half a million people uh, under the golden age of the Roman Empire, under basically Marcus Aurelius and the five good emperors of Rome, you know, the, the, the Marcus Aurelius being the last of them. And um, the, by, by the end of the imperial period, it was a city, it was a deserted place populated by about 5,000 people. 90, what, 99% uh, of the population gone. Why? Because the Roman Republic and then the Roman Empire couldn't sustain itself. Because they let in a vast wave of immigrants who weren't them. Because they refused to preserve Roman citizenship for themselves. There was a time in the, in the era of Cicero and Julius Caesar where Roman citizenship was considered an, astonish, an, an extraordinary prize. There was a time um, in, during, uh, you know, if you go back a thousand years before what we're talking about now, to the time of the Spartans, when Spartan, full Spartan citizenship had to be earned. And it was very difficult to earn it. And you couldn't just get Spartan citizenship by serving in the army. You had to actually be descended from a Spartan family, a helot family, a slave family, could not become Spartan. Because even if you freed the helot, he would still not be eligible for citizenship. Citizenship through naturalization wasn't even a concept back then. You had to be a free man. You had to have earned your right to stay. Uh, by moving away from this concept, the Romans destroyed their own empire and their own culture. Now, 
that's not the end of the story when it comes to the Romans, and there's a lot of other good stuff to look at with the Roman Empire, and there's a lot of, uh, of evidence to support the idea that much of what we know about the subsequent Roman history and the much ballyhooed Dark Ages is wrong, because it is wrong. Uh, the archaeological evidence is clear about that, and that the fall of the Roman Empire wasn't really so much a fall as it was just a transition from um, Roman control to Gothic control, and that's all it was. Um, but that's for another time. The second example I want to look at is, in fact, related to the U.S. itself. Uh, if you look at the native tribes in the USA, in the, the land area of the continental United States, they didn't just um, succumb to the pressure of a technologically superior foreign invader. They succumbed to internal dissension. There was no like unified confederation of tribes to resist uh, the settlers and to stop them from coming in. If they had been able to sink the damn ships, if they'd been able to sink the Mayflower and all the ships that came after it, maybe they would have been able to preserve their way of life. It's doubtful because of the extreme backwardness of, uh, of the Indian tribes, or the native tribes, I should say. They're not, they're not Indian in any meaningful sense. But um, they would have been conquered one way or another, eventually by a technologically superior opponent. That's pretty much guaranteed. They were technologically so far behind at that point that there was no way that they could have resisted, uh, especially with the diseases that uh, foreign invaders would have brought with them, such as smallpox, uh, bubonic plague, and so on. They just did not have the ability to resist these, these diseases at all. But you could not find a more comprehensive example of nations being wiped out wholesale than in the American conquest of the native territories. Uh, the Trail of Tears existed for a reason, and it is, it is a stain upon America's honor that it happened, but it happened. There's just no getting past that fact. And it happened because a technologically and um, civilizationally superior uh, group came in and took the lands from a group that wasn't capable of defending them. Now, you can bitch and moan and complain about that all you like, but that's the pattern of history. That's what happens. Um, it's going to happen again. It's happening right now. What is the lesson to learn from these things? Well, number one, melting pots don't work. It's a bullshit theory. There's absolutely no evidence to support it. If you, the, if you go to the places where it is supposedly supported, such as India, you very quickly find that even there it's not very well supported. In India, you will find, um, like, genetic, uh, genetic anthropologists have done this research. Uh, they found extensive genetic mixture uh, dating back to before about 1500 years ago, maybe a bit longer than that, about 2000 years ago. What that meant was that there were lots and lots of immigrant populations, you know, Aryans invading from the north and Persians and uh, Greeks and so on, and they all sort of came in and mixed together in northern India and, and southern India as well. And there was lots and lots of genetic mixing. And then suddenly, about 1500 years ago, the genetics froze in place, and they've remained frozen ever since. Now, what the hell happened? What happened was the advent of the Hindu caste system. 
And that caste system I've talked about before has five castes. Um, the Brahmins, the, the, the Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas, the, the Shudras, and the Dalits. Uh, Brahmins being the most narrow and most educated, the educated class, the uh, Kshatriyas being the warriors, the Vaishyas being the merchants, the Shudras being the manual laborers, and the Dalits being the vast underclass of untouchables. Between these castes, marriage was more or less forbidden. And while that is no longer quite so big a problem, it is still a huge problem. Uh, it is still very much the case that a lower caste man cannot marry a higher caste woman and vice versa uh, in most of India. And Indians are more than welcome to try to take me on about this. The genetic evidence is clear. Um, your way of doing things has resulted in a frozen genetic admixture for 1500 years. That's just what the evidence says. Uh, the result is that India itself is actually not one nation. It's a group of, it's, it's a vastly complicated patchwork of tribes and nations and religions and ideologies and languages. Uh, hugely confusing mess. Now, somehow it works. It does work, sort of, as a country. Um, but if you go down south into the southern India, and you look at the way that people uh, comport themselves and conduct themselves, it's like a completely different country. And indeed, many South Indians do feel as though they are from a different country than from their brothers up, quote-unquote, brothers up north. And they say so. They, they, they make no bones about it. They're like, we have a distinct racial identity, we have a distinct language, which is true. If you listen to people speaking uh, Tamil or Telugu, it's incomprehensible to somebody who speaks uh, Hindi or Bengali or Urdu or uh, Uriya or Punjabi. Uh, it's just like, you, you try to listen to you like, what the, f what are these people saying? It's impossible. Because the, the, the way people speak is so radically different. It makes no sense to anybody from northern India. Now, India does make it work, but it, the only way it's been able to make it work is by carving out ever more um, sort of uh, uh, atomized parcels of land for people from different tribes. Now, I remember um, when I was growing up, it was something like 27 different uh, states, or maybe less, 25 states. Um, and then, over time, four more were created. So I'm looking at the the uh, composition of it now. There were four more states created since uh, late 2000. And um, there are, the, after independence, within 20 years after independence, there were, uh, what, uh, five union territories. There are now three more union territories. So they keep having to divide up their existing states into various different places. And, by the way, there are uh, a bunch of former states which have then been incorporated into um, into other or bigger territories or have just been renamed or changed or whatever. Um, there are also some proposals uh, to, to make yet more states in India. Um, I believe there are proposals out there to subdivide uh, these states even further into, I, I don't even know how many they're proposing. It'd be, it'd be a huge number. I mean, 
<clears throat> we're looking at, uh, if you look at aspirant states of India, uh, you'd be looking at what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I, I don't, I can't even figure it out. I mean, this, this map that I'm looking at has so many different bits and pieces that people want to split off. I don't even know, um, what they would turn it into, but it'd be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, yeah. so fifteen different states, fifteen new ones. Like, why are they doing this? Because different tribes want to live under their own control, and that's the point. Is when you have vast numbers of immigrants, or basically just foreigners mixed together in in one hodgepodge they're not going to want to live under other people's control. After a certain point, they're always going to say, we want to live by our rules that we recognize, not by your rules, not by what you believe is right, but by what we believe is right. And that's why the American Constitution doesn't apply anymore to the USA, because the people who it was written for no longer exist, pretty much. They've been supplanted and subsumed and overwhelmed by people who have no allegiance to that document whatsoever who have no interest in preserving the balances of power, the, uh, the rights of states versus the rights of the federal government. They have no understanding whatsoever of the English common law that created that idea. They have no care whatsoever for the Magna Carta that delineated the responsibilities and rights of the sovereign king versus the nobility. That doesn't matter to them. That whole tradition that stretches back a thousand years maybe longer if you go back to King Alfred the Great, doesn't matter to these people because they're not of that tradition. So when you have immigration on a mass scale, inevitably you have war or the results of war, which is why immigration around the world is now being wound down. It's being shut down as it should be, as it must be. Because most countries recognize that there is no way for them to become us very quickly. It takes about five generations for that to happen. And only after about five generations can you reasonably confidently say, yeah, these people have no allegiance to a foreign power. They have no care for how something else is done, uh, how, how other people conduct themselves in the old country. They don't have a desire to return to the old country's way of doing things. That's how long it takes. And even after five generations, we're finding in some cases it doesn't work, particularly with respect to members of, shall we say, a certain tribe who have come over to the U.S. And let me just say to members of that tribe who are listening, um, you y'all may want to find that you all may want to take a, a deep, close look at yourselves to understand why it is that you keep getting kicked out of every country you, you, you spend time in. You all may want to ask why it is that you get kicked out of Spain, Russia, Germany, well, at the time, um, England, repeatedly, uh, why the Chinese don't want you, why much of South America doesn't want you. You may want to just turn the eye inward a little bit. I'm begging you, please do it, to understand why it is that this keeps happening to you. Because if you don't, it's going to keep happening. Um, and you know, to the members of that tribe who are in their homeland listening to me, uh, you know, that's where you belong. And I am enormously proud and privileged 
to have been given the right to visit that country back in 2014. I was there. Uh, I thought it was an incredible place. I, I was I was amazed at how beautiful uh, it was and how much fun I had there. I mean, it was the greatest trip of my life. It remains the greatest trip ever. Um, so, you know, full credit to, to the members of the tribe who went back and built a thriving nation there because it really is an amazing place. Um, with respect to the future of the U.S. I've only got a few minutes here, so I'll make this quick. What you're going to see is almost certainly a uh, a war fought in with bullets and bayonets, and we're already seeing it on the streets right now of not Americans versus Americans, of urban, uh, of well-organized urban uh, paramilitary groups against much less organized but much more numerous militia groups of very well-funded, very well-backed, satanically organized, satanically supported um, dissident groups, violent dissident groups, versus ordinary people, and of immigrants, descendants, recent descendants of immigrants against people who have been there for generations. We're going to see it. And the result is going to be a fracturing of the American empire into, I'm guessing three, maybe five different political entities. I expect one of the, at least one of those political entities to be majority white, vastly white, in fact, and I expect them to be much less tolerant of the diversity uberales, diversity is our strength, nonsense that got them into this problem in the first place than their ancestors were. And all I can tell you is that if you are in that situation where you're wondering what's going to happen, Pick your side and pick it fast because the time for neutrality is done. You are going to be required to figure out where your allegiances lie. So make sure you pick the right side and stick to it. Don't, don't betray the side that you're on. If you choose to uh, be on the side of those who hate everything that is American, everything that is good and beautiful and true, then, um, well, don't be surprised when people like me stand up against you and refuse to give, refuse to budge an inch in front of you, because that's what we're going to do. And for those of you who choose to stand for the Constitution, for the American way of life, for the posterity the founders left to you, I wish you very, very good luck, because you're going to need it, and I pray for you, because you're going to need it. You're going to need the protection, you're going to need the help, because things are going to get ugly in a very big hurry, faster than you can imagine. I've seen what happens when a country tears itself apart through protesting and rioting. It's not pretty, and it takes years to recover from. So, um, that'll about do it for now. Uh, we're at the one-hour mark, and don't want to run over. Um, please consider what I have said, that immigration equals war. Please consider the fact that immigration needs to be cut down um, from where it is right now throughout the Western world. And please understand that as an immigrant myself, I'm saying this against my own interests. So you know I'm trying to tell you the truth. Um, as always, support my work at superbshaving.com. Buy the Limitless Living course when it comes out. Uh, it'll be released to the general public on Tuesday, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, September 9th. And... Um, Keep on trucking, and uh, be sure to check out the links and uh, 
uh, affiliates in my in the description box and at the blog. Make sure you visit the blog at didacticmind.com. This has been Didactic Mind episode 45, Immigration Equals War. And I am Didact, signing off.